Number one cardinal rule for anybody in patrol, anybody responding to those calls, is simply don't be complacent. You cannot be complacent on a family violence call because the emotion involved in that call can go up and down in a matter of milliseconds. And everything, every anger, every hostility will come to that uniform mm. in that yeah. family violence call. So the members, of course, are keyed up. They're coming to the door. And if, in fact, and I'm put, again, I'm just playing out what I see what happened yeah. there. They see an injured party focused on the injured party. And then we don't know what happened after that. That's Chris Aiden, who spent years uh, with EPS. He's now a legislative security officer, uh, but he spent a long time as a police officer. Just talking a bit about why um, it's widely accepted that domestic violence and family violence calls are among the most dangerous that police officers are asked to respond to because they're volatile. I mean, but those situations happen all the time, lots of times without police involvement. We're going to speak now with Kim Roos, the CEO of Fear Is Not Love, formerly known as the Calgary Women's Emergency Shelter. Kim, thank you so much for being here this morning. I really do appreciate your time. Thank you so much for covering this topic. It's really important. It is, and it's. It's. I guess we're trying to just get a better understanding of, uh, you know, those kinds of situations. I mean, this is the most drastic. This is the most dire outcome, obviously. But these things happen each and every day that don't necessarily escalate to this level, right? Absolutely. Family violence and abuse is actually an epidemic Sorry, in our province right now. The rates are very high and it's happening in the communities that you may not even see. And, you know, I mean, when we talk about it, how, how do we describe it? Because I'm sure it's, it's a spectrum, I'm sure, right? It, it goes from, from, I don't want to say minor incidents, but certainly not like what we saw yesterday morning. But I'm sure there's a range in between there, correct? Yeah, I think that there's, there's certainly a range, and I think that there are um, different comfort levels with reaching out for support, but there, it's still an issue that I think people suffer in silence often and don't reach out uh, for a very long time until it reaches uh, you know, proportions that so challenge them or they start to worry about their safety. Then they start to call. We do know that people will reach out to the friends and family first, though, so it's really important for people to be aware about what this issue can mean for people. So, I mean, you make such a good point because quite often the last thing people want to do and the, 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 one of the biggest fears they have is what would happen if they did reach out for help. So to make that call to the police, obviously we're in a situation where things are desperate already, correct? Yes. Usually people will call family or friends first or colleagues before they will ever call us from support or resources. But then they're reaching the crisis and the police and things are at a point where um, it's requiring more attention to at that point. Hang on, Kim. I'm just going to put you on hold and let you talk to Sarah for a second. Your line got all wonky on us for a minute there. We'll see if... Uh... Sarah using her her wizardry on the board can somehow straighten it out, but um, you know I think it's it's really if you if you just sort of consider what these situations are, and when you get to the point last night where uh, the woman that we know suffered serious injuries, life threatening injuries, they were described as yesterday, um, and had to be taken to hospital um, for her to get to the point where she makes this call. Kim makes a really good point that you know that's part of this whole cycle. That's part of this whole problem is quite often the last thing that the victims of family violence or domestic violence want to do is reach out and escalate the problem, especially to the point where police get involved. Because, um, you know, if you're if you're feeling like you're trapped in that kind of a situation, now you've just uh, maybe even made things worse for yourself, I imagine, would be the concern. So I can just imagine the 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 desperation um, that this woman was feeling when she finally decided to call police yesterday. Okay, Kim, uh, we got you on another line. Let's see if that's any better. Okay, sounds good. Can you hear me now? Gotcha. There you go. 
Got okay. it cleared up. Okay. So yeah, we were we were just talking about the importance of pointing out the fact that you know that once this call was made, the fact that this call was made means we're into desperate territory because I would think most of the time that call isn't made, right? That's right. Most of the time that call, we don't reach that point. Um, and people will, they will talk to their friends and family first. And that response that we give them is so critical. Because if we respond in a way that, you know, it's disbelief or, you know, how can this possibly be happening? Most people will retreat from that disclosure and they won't share again until it's really escalated. And so that, that first response really matters. And often people are very afraid to reach out. And so it takes a long time, things escalate um, or things happen suddenly. And then it's, it's a point where they reach out to crisis lines or 911. Um, and when, when they reach out to 911, like happened in Edmonton mm-hmm. earlier this week, the police officers, they show up. I mean, that's what they do, which, yeah. is, which, is, yeah. which is so important, right? But how does that further complicate or make the situation better or worse? Any idea? Well, I think it can be both. I think that there's a calming presence that the police can bring, certainly. But then it also, they're walking into something that's very volatile, uh, very emotional, and very personal for people. And so I think it is one of the most dangerous situations for police. It's also very dangerous for the people living in it, right? So imagine the terror, imagine the feelings that they're experiencing as well. And and unfortunately, the police are walking into that, um, you know, tumultuous situation and having to respond, um, you know, and keep people safe while keeping themselves safe. You know, if you think about the society, that we live in, I think uh, I'm pretty confident in saying that most of the violence that we see perpetrated on people is done by family members inside of the home. I think that's probably the most common source of violence. So that element exists there as well. And then it's just, I'm trying to think of a more heightened state of arousal for people that could end up going vol. I mean, this is peak sort of outrage, fury, everything, correct? Well, and absolutely. I think it's also our homes are supposed to be where we're safe, and that is often not the case. I think it's the stat I saw the other day is that one in five uh, murders in Canada are uh, domestically related, and every five five to six days in Canada, a woman is murdered by her partner or ex-partner, so someone that once said, "I love you." Um, so that's that's really intense. Right? Those are um, scary stats, and we know that um, yeah, the violence that we see uh, in our cities it is often domestically related. So, I mean, the police are the call of last resort. What do we do before we get to that point? And I guess it's a question we've been asking for a long time, Mm -hmm. Kim. Are are we making any progress? Uh, I think we are making progress. Um, I think that... Uh, we're seeing people disclose more to family and friends. We're also seeing people become very interested in learning how to be a great social responder. So how to be someone that when someone discloses to you, they keep talking, right? The idea is you want to hear and believe and listen to folks so that they talk more because we want them to continue down that help-seeking path. And essentially, if things are serious enough, we want people to be comfortable reaching out to resources in the community. So for example, we run uh, two information lines here, uh, crisis lines. So uh, one is, you know, 403-234-SAFE, which people can call to learn about how do you respond. If you're worried about friends or family, you can call. Or if you're in crisis, you can call as well. And then we also have digital resources for men. So men who might be worried about their behavior 
um, they want to be, uh, you know, making healthier choices in their relationships, they can look online at uh, menand, which is M-E-N-A-N-D dot C-A, and there's a ton of digital resources there as well on how to understand your behavior, your feelings, your anger, and how to manage that better. Kim, there's something you mentioned there that it sort of struck me, and I know you touched on it, but maybe we can go a little bit deeper before I let you go, and that's sort of sure. what we can do and how we can be better. If somebody, like, if somebody were to come to me and say, hey, this is what's going on, I wouldn't know what to say. I wouldn't know what to do. I would probably deflect. I would probably uh, downplay yeah. because I don't know how to handle it. What's your advice? What is the, you know, how do you respond if that should suddenly present itself? Well, I think the tendency, you know, is to be shocked and go, oh, no, like I've known that person yeah, for 20 yeah. years. That doesn't sound right. And, of course, just imagine if you're on the on the end of asking for advice or support and someone says that and then you, you go back and go, oh, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm not seeing this right. Maybe I'm going, you know, I'm not reading this situation well. And so rather than that, we want people to listen, to, to actually just listen without judgment and and support the person um, in their feelings and what they're experiencing at the time and not feel like you have to fix it because you don't have to fix it. One of the best things we can do, one of the most simple things we can do is we can listen. And these situations can be high risk for bystanders and supporters too. And so listen, support this person, and then try and connect them to a resource like a helpline, like a local crisis line. And those lines will help them safety plan, talk through you know, what they're feeling, and get a better understanding of what is their situation and how can they create safety for themselves? Just open up the lines of communication, essentially. Yeah. 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 It's, it sounds simple, but it's really powerful. And so important. Kim, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much.